Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hey, I'm Scott Pipe. Hi, I'm Nick Percat. You are listening to Inside Supercars. All the racing I've done, supercars and, uh, you know, all the GT and drifting and all that kind of stuff, I think it all helps. A lot of seat time and having some good times racing, it's, it's a lot of fun. As long as we don't allow some of the lunatics to um, get the keys, then uh, it'll continue to be at the, um, at the forefront uh, through hard work and diligence, particularly on the part of the team owners and investment by them. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. Welcome, race fans, to another week of Inside Supercars with Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock. Good evening, Craig. Good evening, Tony. Another great event in Adelaide. Uh, it, it certainly is a wonderful way to start a series. Um, I suppose there was a bit of expectation that uh, Shane may do what he did. Um, obviously, there were a lot of elements in his favour for to doing that. But there were some things that showed up that were a bit out of the ordinary. Well... I don't know if they were out of the ordinary, but they were certainly uh, welcomed. Uh, we all wanted to see uh, Penske's improve over the winter, and it looked like Fabian and, and Scott are pushing each other harder and harder than ever before. So I think that was certainly a positive. And I was very interested to see how Alex Rulo uh, took on his first race weekend, and I'm not afraid to say that I thought he did an excellent job. Um, one thing that I don't know, because I haven't seen the television coverage, but I certainly was out trackside when it happened, was uh, coming into the Victoria Park section, so off the street section and into Victoria Park, um, late in the last third of the race, he got punted off the road and uh, it was certainly a setback for him and uh, at that time he was still on the lead lap so um, I don't I don't remember exactly who did the punting but it was certainly a car that was back there with him and I think it was a driver who was uh, probably one of the most experienced in the field that did it um, but at that time he was in front of Simona he's in front of Jason Bright and uh, a number of other a number of other drivers. It was just after Taz Douglas had pitted because of uh, the temperatures in the cockpit and his lack of cool suit. So, Well, I think one of the things was with both um, Alex Rouleau making his debut and Simona Di Silvestro making hers, both of them really kept their noses clean. Unfortunately for Simona that James uh, uh, punted her as she was heading into pit lane without giving really any indication she was heading there, not being on the side of the track closest to the entrance mm. but I think both of them can come away from it saying you know that they didn't do anything wrong they didn't make any mistakes they kept themselves clear and I noted today that uh, Alex Rouleau has been given his uh, super license for the AGP so clearly the powers that be have decided that he kept his nose clean mm. uh, for that event and that was um, one of the things that was being debated all weekend was about the new rules about when you're up close enough, when is it, uh, you know, with the with the redress rule being removed, um, it meant that the DSO, Craig Baird, was going to have to make decisions. And uh, there was a few interesting decisions that were made over the course of the weekend. And maybe we'll speak to them after your guest, Craig Lowndes, Tony, because uh, I, I think that deserves a, a bit of analysis there. Yes, indeed. And one of the things that did appear... 
there was some good decision-making going on there in that uh, the rules, as they had set out clearly in driver's briefings, were then enacted on, and that, that includes the, the unfortunate one for Scott McLaughlin in weaving and the, uh, um, the strikes uh, for curbs on Dave Reynolds. Both unfortunate and both really, as has been said by many people with far more experience than I have, um, the, the crime uh, really wasn't being matched by the penalty. You, you know, it just they weren't large enough crimes to warrant drive-through penalties. But, you know, such is it. Um, after the break, we'll uh, come back uh, and listen to Craig Lowndes recounting his experience from the weekend. And, you know, one of the most experienced in the paddock and certainly one of the great success stories. And he'll, he'll tell us how his weekend went. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page. And to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome this afternoon to Craig Lowndes to Inside Supercars. Yeah, At the weekend, uh, you know, it was a, another one of those big weekends in Adelaide, obviously a large crowd. Um, was there any uh, surprises for you over that weekend? Uh, no, I think the only surprise that we, uh, you know, we knew we sort of going into a little bit was the tyre, obviously trying to get your head around it, make sure we get the best out of it. I think that uh, you know, we struggled at the early parts of the weekend, but uh, you know, we, we definitely got our head around the tyre and it set up much better on the Sunday, although I made a mistake in qualifying, which, of course, at the moment, the way the competition is, if, uh, if you sort of stuck in the middle of the pack, you, you're basically uh, stuck there all day. It was a very tough Sunday's race because we were in traffic. Yeah, right. Um, but it was a, a good learning weekend then. Oh, yeah, much, much so. I think that, uh, you know, we learned a lot uh, in, the, in the test day at Sydney Motorsport Park, uh, but we learned a lot more again uh, over in Adelaide. Clipsal Circuit, obviously, being a street race, uh, was always a difficult physical track. Uh, the temperature on the Saturday, uh, obviously, was, was quite hot, but the Sunday was much better. But, uh, yeah, we, we learned a lot. I think that there's no doubt that, uh, unfortunately for us, my Achilles heel over the weekend was our qualifying speed, and I think that, uh, as I said, like although we probably should have been in the top ten both days, I think Sunday we definitely should have been in the top ten, and that's something that uh, I put down as I made a mistake in turn nine, uh, the hairpin there, and, and lost four tenths. But uh, of course, there all ifs and buts. We've got to make sure that uh, moving forward we we clean all that side up. Yeah, and same thing, of course, in qualifying now that it might be a smaller gap. But the overall gaps are smaller, so therefore it's easy to go back from, you know, 10th back to 17th or whatever sort of place. Oh, look, there's no doubt about that. I think that both days we only missed out the 10 by a 10th, I think it was. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, you don't really need to lose a lot of time at the moment to, to lose a lot of spots. And that's something that I think it just shows and indicates the, the way that the category is and the competition. Uh, you know, I think even Frosty uh, missed the 10 on Sunday. He was just in front of us. So there was a lot of mix up between the Saturday's qualifying and Sunday's qualifying for us but saying that, the two Red Bull cars uh, qualified uh, um, in the 10 quite easily both days so uh, yeah, we know where, we, where we're lacking but, uh, but all in all, uh, 
uh, I, I posted a, a, a message saying that I was satisfied with the results, but I was satisfied with what we'd learned and, and the progress that we made over the course of the weekend. You know, it would have been much nicer, obviously, have have stronger results, that's for sure. Well, in, in both days you went forward from qualifying, both days that you were able to move yourself up out of mid-pack into the top part. Yeah, and that just indicated the car was much better than where I put it, and, and that was that was the frustrating part. I think that I was more frustrated after qualifying on Sunday, knowing that I'd made a mistake, knowing that we should have been in the ten, and knowing that you know we had a much better car. So I was more frustrated on Saturday, oh, sorry, Sunday than Saturday after qualifying. But as you said, you know, we, we definitely had to stay out of trouble. You know, at the end of the day, we've got to score maximum points regardless where we are, because obviously you know, the championship's a long year. Anything uh, will happen. Everyone will have a bad weekend, and uh, we just got to make sure we minimise now from going forward that we have, uh, you know, those bad weekends. And well, a bad weekend, and you're still in the in the top ten in the championship points, so that's a bad weekend. Yeah, look, I suppose you know you can take it for that, but you know, knowing that uh, you know we 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 should have been better, I think that that's where I, you know, I say it was a bad weekend. Uh, but yeah, look, I think with sitting eighth in the championship but as, you know, it's the first round of the year um, everyone's going to have bad weekends we know that we go to uh, uh, the Melbourne Grand Prix it's, it's, it's a non-championship gives us another opportunity to, to sort of perfect and work closer with uh, John McGregor Irish my engineer who yep. uh, you know, again he was very calm very uh, you know uh, obviously methodical about how he went about what we did uh, we just did little steps and uh, everything that we did worked so uh, as I said, you know, for us, it's, it's showing good signs for the year. And, and interesting, you mentioned uh, Irish, as he's known, I think. Yeah. Um, he's been with you now solo. I mean, obviously, he was with you all last year, but in a in a different role until Ludo left. And that was, or uh, went on guarding leave. That was about Sandown, or was it earlier than that? Uh, no, it was, it was just after uh, uh, the Gold Coast. We, uh, we went, actually, we're in New Zealand doing some promotional work when I found out that uh, Ludo uh, had made a decision to leave the team and uh, at that point it was at the end of the year oh. and, I, and I think we found out very soon after that that conversation I had with Roland that uh, where he was going right. and was, uh, then was a decision, uh, pretty quick and easy decision from Roland to say that uh, we uh, will leave him or put him on gardening leave and uh, we'll, we'll elevate uh, Irish into that uh, engineering role so from New Zealand and Owen Bush, I know we re- we heard in the results, but in the same same token, we we got the foundation working much better for this year uh, with the rapport that I've got now with Iris. And then yeah, look, he's a young kid. Uh, you know, we, we're still sort of working very close together to, to make him him better. And, and his knowledge, obviously, you now he lacks a little bit of knowledge, but what he lacks in knowledge, he he, he makes up for his keenness in trying to learn and and develop the car. And of course, Sam Michael plays a role in the team now. Yeah, he does. He was sort of in and out a little bit last year, uh, just sort of getting come to grips with the team, the category, the cars. And I think that uh, there's no doubt that, uh, you know, he was uh, part of the debrief uh, now since, uh, you know, this year. And I think that he'll be more uh, present in, in, at the team and maybe at events, I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, he's uh, definitely uh, brought an element to uh, to the team that uh, obviously, you know, he, he's got very strong. He's got a strong background in Formula One, um, you know, in a sense of, the touring car scene, he's a little bit green, and he's the first to admit that, but he's learned a lot, and what he does bring is a bit of calmness, and, uh, and actually works, works with the engineers, and just how to work through the process of uh, getting the strength out of everyone, and, uh, and making it all work for all of us. And I imagine he'd play a real uh, part in helping Irish come on. 
Yeah, I think that, uh, again, he, he's got some great depth and background of uh, management side of it. So, yes, he, he definitely helped the uh, Irish nurture him a little bit in, into that role and, and not to get frustrated, to take it all on board. And uh, he's definitely done that. And, uh, you know, I think there's no doubt that uh, having Sam Michael there has is, is, is been a good element for us as a team. And uh, moving forward, I think that uh, he'll be uh, a good asset. Um, you started full-time in the series in 95? No, no, 96. 96. Yeah, 96. So we're now 20 years. Um, so more than more than half your life you've been full-time race driver in the development ser- in the main series, rather. Um, is is it winning and, and racing, are they the same thing for you? Or do you, can you enjoy the racing even if you weren't winning? Oh, look. Yes, I think that uh, the passion is still there. The uh, the fire in the valley is still there. I think that, uh, as I said, I got frustrated with the Sunday's uh, qualifying results. I knew that we were should, we should have been much better. So yeah, I'm, I'm still as enthusiastic as ever to, to win races, be part of the championship, and win championships. Um, you know, I do get asked that question a lot. Do you think I still got another one in me? Yes, I do. I think there's no doubt that uh, you know if we go to uh, race weekends and we we put our best foot forward, we're still capable of winning races and and potentially winning championships and I think that uh, you know when that fire in the valley sort of fades away I'll definitely then look at uh, getting away from at least the full-time driving sense and you know, looking at uh, the enduro side of it so for me uh, yeah 20 years on I'm still as keen as, uh, as ever to, to be part of this championship. Um, that's terrific and which then brings us to that other question because you you have in your two teammates one sort of uh, not the end of his career by any stretch with Jamie but one who's won six championships and the other one who's just won his first championship so you've got two very fast drivers in the same garage virtually Um, how important is it to have that teammate who is fast um, not just from a point of view of uh, making a car fast, but also in terms of giving you the impetus and the enthusiasm. Well, I think that, that that's a very good question. I think that uh, you know having two teammates like Shane and Jamie now, um, you know, is definitely keep me keen and eager in the sport. I think there's no doubt that uh, we always talk about the golden rule: you first got to be your teammate. And uh, you know, I've got two of them, so it uh, it is very much a, a motivator for me to make sure that we you know try and look for new new ways of doing things it's uh, obviously you know we, we obviously have the same race cars we have the same information yes we have different engineers but same token we all work very closely together this year and i think that uh, you know for me it's, it's a great motivator to have two two drivers like that jamie yeah look it's interesting to see him develop over the over the years that we've been together and also to see the way that shane's developed i think there's no doubt that uh, shane has started the year off very strongly and i think that he's very motivated to try and win another one um so, yeah, look, for me, it's great to have those as teammates. OK, all right, wonderful. Um, which brings me uh, full circle to uh, talking about Adelaide, great event. Um, how much better, or was it, to be going back to the two 250s on both days? Well, uh, for me, I, I love the, the, that, uh, that old format. I think there's no doubt that uh, you know, it suits me better. I think that uh, you know, the way that uh, uh, the longer races are it definitely suits my style and, and the way I like to approach and think about the race. Um, you know, even being the hot Saturday, you know, I, I don't, the heat doesn't worry me. So the hotter it is the weekends, the, the better it normally goes for me. But, uh, um, yeah, that old format of the two 250s, I think is great. I think that uh, shows the, the team element, also shows the uh, resilience of drivers to back it up again the Sunday. Uh, you know, we all all had blisters, we all had sore backs, we all had sore legs on the Sunday. But, uh, you know, you've got you to toughen it up and 
get those next 78 laps on the Sunday through. Yeah, right. Okay, well, so now we're back off to the, the Grand Prix, which is an event you've done well at in the past. Yeah, it's obviously a very different style of uh, racetrack, very fast, very smooth. Um, obviously a great uh, location, but also a great event. I think that uh, we get to showcase the supercars in front of the world-class Formula 1 teams. And I know we have a, a great alliance with, uh, with Red Bull, but... Uh, you know, it, I think that uh, you know they find our our category as fascinating as we find Formula One. I think that uh, uh, the showcase supercars in that way. I think it's a great, as I said, a great uh, event. Uh, we 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 don't uh, hold back. You see that uh, there's obviously a lot of door rubbing going on. There's obviously some crashes that have seen over over the years. Even though we don't score points or part of uh, the points of the championship, so uh, you know we definitely put on a good show. Yeah, indeed. And of course, the big change for coming up in a couple of weeks' time is going to the Supersoft again. Do yeah, you see? I mean, do you see much change will happen with your car there? Yeah, I think that uh, you know what, what we found with the soft tyre. Uh, I think we'll definitely find with the Supersoft, and there's no doubt that uh, you know for us, uh, you know, we've, as I said, we've learned a lot through the, the Clipsal uh, weekend. But uh, yeah, going to the Supersoft, I'm really excited. It, it's a tyre that. The soft tyre, which sort of in technically is the super soft now, is uh, has treated me well in the past. I think that it is a tyre that you've got to manage better than obviously the soft or the hard tyre or the harder of the two tyres. You know what we had at Clipsal. So um, yeah, I'm really excited about the challenge. And uh, you know, touch wood, it uh, it, it, it does uh, give us the results that we had from last year. Oh, wonderful, Craig. I, I look forward to catching up with you in person. And thanks so much for this week. Yeah, no problem at all. Thank you very much. And that was a fascinating insight by Craig Lowndes as to how his weekend at the Adelaide Clipsal 500 went, the very last Clipsal 500, of course, and we're yet to find out who the new one is. After the break, Craig Ravel and I will discuss some of the other subjects that came out of the last weekend. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie's tour at the Grand Prix and I just remind myself of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Robham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back, race fans. Craig... Fascinating weekend. You were there. You saw the crowd size up close and personal. Tell us about your personal experiences at Adelaide this year. When I saw the 75,000 crowd come out on Saturday, and it was very interesting that the Sunday crowd wasn't posted. After the event, it was the lowest crowd in, I think it was something like 12 years. So Uh. it was... The 75,000 just seemed absurd. At the start of the race, which is when you normally see the grandstand across from the media centre on the, on the start-finish straight across from the pits, absolutely jam-packed. And then the Clipsal stand, which is on the final corner, you could see big masses of seats that were empty. So on both Saturday and Sunday. And I know Adrian Mussolino, the editor of V8X magazine, John Bannon and myself uh, went out and just walked around the track and had a look at some of the racing from different vantage points. And we were quite surprised that go up to the fence, just about any of the locations that we wanted to and watch the cars at the fence. Now, there's been a lot of talk that the prices were 
getting a bit too high now. And uh, certainly when you, when you see the comments being made on why people were staying away, it, it, price ticket prices was definitely one of them. Now, I know organisers have uh, said, if not officially, then off the record, they have said they expected about 15,000 people not to come on Sunday because of no big headlining Sunday concert. And they knew that that was going to affect the uh, the crowd numbers on the Sunday. However, once again, the numbers seem to be a lot worse than than uh, than that. And on top of that, you had a, a situation where you just got the feeling that whilst all the hotels were seemed to be booked and seemed to be full, I got the feeling that it was locals that weren't there now. As you know, Tony, the beginning of March in Adelaide is just absolutely packed to the rafters with events for um, Adelaideans and others. You have uh, WOM Adelaide, you have the Fringe Festival, the Writers Festival, Clipsal, of course, the Adelaide Festival. And uh, Peter Norton, our good friend from Inside Motorsport, suggested that Clipsal's known for innovation and, and this year there wasn't much innovation there. There wasn't a new gimmick or a new thing to uh, hang your hat on, and perhaps that's what kept people away as well. Certainly one could not say that the uh, main races, the uh, supercar races, had didn't have the excitement levels. I felt that some of the other categories, though, because of the number of uh, major crashes and stoppages and and you know red flags that you know meant no more laps and cutting down on the number of race laps in the development series races i think some of that lost out this time um the gt racing wasn't great standard um touring car masters didn't have quite the uh allure of what it's had in the past so overall i you know as a television watcher it wasn't quite as good as it's been years past certainly the supercar races were fantastic and, you know, much enjoyed not only by myself, but many of the competitors and and uh, spectators. Again, seeing the 250k races, that which was, was terrific to see. No one said um, to me, uh, Tony, I spoke to uh, team owners, drivers, engineers, to a man, they all said, thank goodness we got rid of those silly races <coughs> on Saturday and went back to a real race. And you're a man who says that you wouldn't get out of bed for three, less than 300k's. So yes. 250 means that you'll wake up and watch. <laughs> indeed, indeed, I will. Um, just moving on to the driving standards, just looking overall, I felt that it wasn't a lack of indecision, but a lack of communication at times. Um, the, the fact that uh, the penalties given out to McLaughlin and to Reynolds, while petty, they were definitely part of this year's rules and that if you were going to play in this game, these are the rules we're following. So when people actually did complain about them, I felt that that's a bit sort of uh, hasty to be doing. Well, Scott, ne- Scott that- never complained about it. In fact, Scott was uh, the first one to say, I made a mistake. Yes, and I, I, agree. I you know, So Scott was very, very um, uh, aware yeah. of what... Yeah, accepting of the situation. I kept weaving. He said, it's something we'll have to work on. Normally I get a radio call. I didn't get a radio call. He, he wasn't blaming the team. Um, he said, I couldn't see the lights where I was, so I, I'm the one weaving the car. I made the mistake. He said, is the punishment right or wrong? That doesn't matter. It's the punishment. I broke the yeah. rules. I had to uh, look, suffer the punishment. And the, the one other questionable one was the wind cup 
Winterbottom won on the Saturday's race, and certainly they sorted that out. They've set the precedent. Okay, right, we now know that if if someone is down your inside and is up to the B pillar, then you've got to make sure you leave them racing room. And uh, it would appear that Winterbottom didn't, and therefore. You know, it turned out with no penalty for, for Jamie. Jamie. But the actually, interesting uh, thing there is they didn't just say, they didn't just interrupt the race and say um, pit lane drive through. They said we will review this at the end of the race, and that that's a move back from the you know the the instantaneous you could even say judge dread approach of we will make a decision, we will make a decision on the racetrack, and it will be applied during the race. Uh, yeah, they were indeed. quite prepared to put. X amount of seconds on a race time. Um, and I know there was a feeling years ago that you had to let the cars cross the line in their order and not change the order and just apply a points penalty or something like that. And then we went through the, the redress or the pit lane penalty phase. And it seems now we've just had a, a swing back or a, a shift in the a shift in the application there. But uh, it, it, I, I must admit, no one was saying the decisions were wrong. That's right, yeah. Speaking of uh, such things, um, there was uh, Scotty McLaughlin who uh, showed a, a great deal of remorse for the mistake he made. He certainly didn't back away from it. Uh, seen holding his ha- head in his hands and uh, helmet in his hands and and uh, the, you know, feeling not sorry for himself but sorry for the mistake he made. I, I feel that Penske have made a step up. You know, they had a pair of pole positions last year. But this year, I think that both cars, that lifting of Penske's is probably a result of having two A-grade drivers uh, in both McLaughlin and Coulthard. And that uh, while they didn't walk away with the ultimate success, they did walk away with a pair of front row starts and a podium. Um, and that potentially, certainly, McLaughlin was going to be there or very close about. Mm. And I've got a piece of audio that I'm going to play you because I, got a, uh, I had an opportunity to have a chat with Ludo after the race, and this was Ludo's thoughts on not winning. I'm nearly happy that today we don't win because somebody was quicker than us, and the Penske way is to be a true winner, and uh, we will be true winner because that's the Penske way. Very interesting. It certainly does make an insight into it. The other one that's of interest is um, the way Shane Van Gisbergen uh, has looked upon his rivalry against the Penske team, which his teammates have uh, taken to another level. I don't really see it as a rivalry. I think it's... um, I don't see him any different to any other driver. It's good to have another Kiwi up front and then another brand. I think that's good for, you know, the sport and interest in our country. But, um, yeah, I think there's... A little bit of rivalry in between teams at the powers that be, but from my end, it's it's all good. And to have a constant team competing against us is a good problem to have. Yeah, I wouldn't, a, I wouldn't say I said it was a rival. It was said if, by others. If not a rivalry, is he a championship threat? Yeah, of course. Uh, well, everyone is at the moment. Everyone's leading the championship, so uh, there's no no clear threat yet. But I think he's he's up there. The Nissans have been very fast, so it's not clear who's going to be consistently up the front yet. Yeah, and I, I like how Shane's going. I've got to beat everyone. I don't just have to beat the Penske cars. But uh, still we're seeing stories written and we're seeing um, an assumption that uh, it's just between Red Bull Racing and and uh, and DJR Team Penske, which, as we know, different tracks suit different cars. 
of course, James Courtney, and I know you want to talk about tyres in a moment, but James Courtney is fantastic around Adelaide. Um, Scott Pye wasn't quite on the pace yet in his first outing with Mobile One HSV, and Adrian Burgess will be glad I put the Mobile One in there because I didn't when I was speaking to him. And uh, and that's that's the track that he likes. And those cars like 90-degree corners, what they call um, high-turn or quick-turn racetracks, as, as opposed to Phillip Island, the Grand Prix, where they're slow-turn or, or low-turn uh, tracks because they're so flowing. Yes, indeed. Look, the tyre situation was fantastic and interesting to look at. It certainly seemed that it may have actually played into Shane's hands slightly. As we know, Kevin Fitzsimon talking about the fact that Dunlop provided more data to the teams, uh, pre-event data, that they could sit and evaluate what they needed to do with their setups. And it would seem that uh, this new stiffer sidewall tyre it gave better turn-in, it gave more in the way of drive and better under brakes. It may well suit Shane as being more like a GT3 tyre, more like a, 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 a GT Cup type of uh, tyre than the old tyre was, and therefore it fell into Shane's hands slightly. Mm. And if that's the case, then the other man who is uh, well, well-versed in GT <laughs> racing is James Courtney, and perhaps we're going to see James make more of this season because the tyre is going to be something that he is so familiar with as well. From what I understand, that with the next uh, event being Grand Prix, with the super soft tyre, the change from the the tyre they're now using as a standard tyre to the super soft, the balance will remain the same. So it's likely that the same cars, albeit... They'll be on much different corners from the Grand Prix from Adelaide. The, the tyre will keep the car in the same operating window. Mm. And, in fact, here's what Grant McPherson had to say after the event about going to the Grand Prix with the Super Soft tyre. It's, it's completely different now because it's our first hit out on the Super Soft, whereas this weekend's been on the Soft tyre. So, yeah, we'll um, be aiming to learn as much as we can, but we'll, we'll want to be at the pointy end as well. Look, it, this, this whole thing dynamically changing, isn't it, Craig? The way in which this uh, change of tyres has just enlivened things a bit, just given a bit fresher thing. That combined with the changes of teams and engineers makes the new season probably more exciting than last year's. Indeed, but hopefully the word gets out to the general public because if Clipsal had troubles drawing a crowd and... Uh, and, of course, there's local reasons for that. I do believe it was locals that weren't at the track, not the interstate guests, but that's just my anecdotal look at the world and look at the situation. Um, are we going to have a situation where people aren't turning up because they don't realise that things are uh, going to be a lot more interesting this year? Or are we even, because I, I know you and I both uh, believe the television coverage is now um, at the absolute peak of its uh, performance. Are people taking a rugby league attitude opposed to an AFL attitude where I can sit at home and watch this and uh, and pay my Foxtel subscription cheaper and uh, get more for it than if I spend a weekend at the track? All right. Well, after the break, we'll uh, have, uh, Craig, your final thoughts and we'll review where we are before 
the next week's show. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Bear Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Craig Lance. Hi, I'm Dale Wood and you're listening to Supercars Today. And welcome back to Inside Supercars. Craig, your final thoughts, and I'd like to hear more about what you were talking, the crowd being down and the possibilities of what may happen in the future, if that is the case. Tony, I, I am keen to see what this would be like if we had extended our off-season by three to four weeks and run the Clips of 500 at the end of March beginning of April, you will well remember that the first Clipsal was run in April. Um, obviously, you get into the Easter season and that's something you'd have to manage. But for me, the teams wouldn't mind having a few extra weeks and uh, to prepare cars and to, to get themselves ready. You can do a bit more around the season launch and then uh, get into racing in perhaps more favourable weather conditions. Obviously, it won't be as hot as end of February, early March, but you might get a bit more inclement weather going into April. Uh, it's a possibility, I guess, that supercars will have the opportunity to have a look at. And if Clipsal decided they had to move some of the um, some of the Mad March events, then I would think supercars would actually put their hand up to shorten their season and to uh, allow teams to have a bit more of a break over Christmas. Well, it would certainly seem... Uh, a worthwhile idea. One of the things that I kept on hearing from race fans was them being denied the opportunity to see the cars in the new colours, as in the test day was for the teams only. That did seem to me a fairly limited thinking about the whole thing. Midweek didn't make sense um, for the team's point of view, but if you shorten the season up, you can have a proper season opening, as has been done in years past, Sydney and Sandown, and that would be well warranted. I think that uh, it showed up that the teams were well prepared. There were very few DNFs over the weekend, uh, only a couple of uh, what you call questionable damage ones, damaged cars uh, out of the race, and most of those got back out there again. The supports were all ready. They were terrific. The GTs had repaired themselves from their 12-hour uh, events. Um, I just think that there is some merit in the possibility of moving the date and that there would be real benefit in terms of, you know, a, a, a slightly cooler climate and a less crowded weekend in Adelaide. It makes a lot of sense to us. Anyway, we'll have more on this subject and more on post-Adelaide review, including looking at the Super 2s now. And why do they call it Super 2s? What was wrong with development series? Wonderful races, and we'll talk more on that next week. So thank you very much, race fans. And it's good night from Tony and... And it's good night from him. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.